Let's open our Bibles back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, where we, we started this last week. And we, we think about Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, where everything was good. Everything God created was good. It was very good. But something happened. Something changed. What happened? It's here in Genesis chapter 3, the fall, we call it. And everything changed. Now, I really I was thinking about this. We need to understand what Genesis 3 talks about so that we can understand why Jesus came and what Jesus came and what he did. You see, it's, it's all you know, connected to Genesis chapter 3. If you don't understand what happened in Genesis chapter 3, what, what Jesus came to do will make no sense. What's the, what's the big deal? What's, you know, if you don't know that sin entered the world and death through sin, you don't know why Jesus came. Jesus came to deal with sin and to conquer death. But you need to know what Genesis 3 says, or, or that none, of that none of that, like I said, will make any sense at all. Sin and death entered the world, as it says there, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And, and, this, and we saw that the fellowship between people, between Adam and Eve and God, was broken. Something changed, again. And, and, and through that, even between people and people, this thing called sin entered the world and, and, and radically changed everything. We saw this battle Again, with, with Satan, and just a little bit of review, because I, I, I like these uh, things uh, that Larry Richards brought out. He says, Satan attacked God's commandment in three ways. He questioned the existence of it. Did God really say? Number two, he cast doubt on God's motives. God knows that when you eat, you'll be like God. In fact, you know, God is, you know, his motives aren't good. And then the third one, he denied the consequences of violating the standard that you will not surely die. These things are all true today. The enemy is still at work today. So he tempted Eve there, he tempted Adam and Eve in the end uh, to go beyond what God had said and, and to be independent says that she looked and she considered it. She ate and she gave to her husband. And, you know, Satan, he kind of throws in half-truths and then lies along with them. He said, you know, your eyes will be opened. <coughs> yes, their eyes were opened, but their eyes were open to evil. Their eyes were open to shame and to fear and to guilt. And, and it says here in verse 8, if you'll look, at verse 8, it says that then the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. You see, this fellowship with God that they had had previous to this that was so beautiful, that was so incredible, it was now broken. And that they're now hiding from God. But the truth of the matter is, and this is, this is what Jesus is all about, that God wants to restore that fellowship. He wants to restore that relationship. And, and God provided the way for that. And the way was Jesus, of course. But let's, let's pick up where we left off in verse 9. It says, it says there, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So the first thing God does after this happens, he he calls out to the man. Now, the man... Adam wasn't the first one to fall. It was Eve, right? But, but he calls the man first. And the reason I believe is because the, the responsibility laid first on the man. For a couple of reasons. One, that the command was directly to Adam. And secondly, because the responsibility, the, the structure that God had set up, the, the responsibility goes first and foremost, the buck stops at the man. And, and I believe that. I think you read the other scriptures. We've been talking about marriage in chapter 2. And the way God has set this up is that the res- number one responsibility goes to the man. If your marriage is falling apart, if your spiritual life is all messed up in the home, the responsibility goes to the, to the man first. And you and I, uh, you men and I, we have to take that seriously. We have to take responsibility. And God is going to hold us accountable for how we led in the home and in the relationship. The buck stops with me as the man in the home. Now, you say, well, God's asking all these questions to Adam. You know, where are you? Who told you? Do you think God didn't know all that stuff? He asked the question so Adam would have to think about it and so that Adam you know, would have to face up to it. God does that. He challenges you and I, too. We've got to face up to it. And he challenges Adam. Matthew Henry said, Though God knows all our sins, yet he will know them from us. And he requires confession from us that we may be humbled. You and I, you know, God knows it all, but he wants us to, to humble ourselves and to come before him and to confess our sin. That's what it says in the scripture, confess our sins. And he is faithful and just and he will forgive us. But we need to confess. Well, he knows it all anyway, so I'm, I'm not going to bother to confess. No, you and I need to face up to, to what we have done. I, I just see it all, so often. And we see it here from the very first time, right? Blame shifting, right? You know what blame shifting is. Someone else's fault, and we're not willing to take the responsibility for what I have done. That's why that cute little card that Connie sent, you know, the first thing I think it said was, I am sorry. In other words, I did it. For you and I to go before God and confess, that's what, that's what God is, is confronting this man about. What does he say? Oh, the woman. First he blames the woman, right? It's the woman. It's somebody else. It's not me. Julie did it. Never mind. Some of you know that. The woman. Notice what else he says. The woman that you gave me. So not only does he blame the woman, but he blames God too because God gave him the woman, right? So this is like, you know, I, 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 I saw some stuff happening, uh, you know, and, and someone was sharing with me, 
with us about something that was happening somewhere else, not around here, though it happens everywhere, where this person was saying, you know what? As soon as you start to take responsibility for yourself and for your actions, you know, then everything is going to be okay. But the truth of the matter was, this person was causing all the problems. It's the other people. It's always somebody else's fault. Somebody else that caused it. Somebody else that did it. Number one has to be, what have I done? That doesn't mean that they didn't do things and the other person did it. The other person in your relationship, your husband, your wife, in other relationships, doesn't mean they didn't do anything wrong. But they have to see it for themselves. You can't, you can't make them see it, but, but you can take responsibility for yourself. And I can guarantee you that, that each of us has some part to play. You know what they used to say, it takes two to tango? We, we've done something. Just get, get it over with and confess and say, I'm sorry, and, and, and move forward. That's the only way forward. Well, it was, you know, it was, it was her. It, you, if you hadn't given me, given me this woman. This is, this is like today. Happens today. Maybe you're having a relationship issue right now, and you're thinking, if, if she would only, if he would only, what about if I would only? And it starts by humbling myself and saying, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and, and I, have found, I have found that you have to say, I'm sorry, and stop there. I'm sorry, but, as soon as you, you add that on, I'm, I'm sorry. But if you hadn't have, I'm sorry, but, no, just say, I'm sorry. Leave the but out. Then the Lord goes to the woman, right? Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman. Now she's responsible too. She's not, you know, off, scot-free or whatever. He says to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What is this that you have done? The serpent deceived me and I ate. She does the same thing, right? She blames, she blames the devil. The devil, you know, you remember Flip Wilson? Some of you are old enough. The devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't. You can't blame the devil for everything that you do. I can't blame the devil for, you know, yeah. yeah. He, he might be working to get us to do such and such, but, but I can't blame. I did it. What have you done? God, I think, says that to, to you and I today. What have you done? Not because he doesn't know. He knew, he knew exactly what she had done, exactly what happened. But he's confronting her about it. What have you done? And she didn't confess her sin at that point in time. You know, you got to look at the big picture and, and, and what God, you know, does bring some peace in, the, in this relationship, but it doesn't start off that way. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 that, that, that Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, but he says, be careful. 
that your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He says, he's still doing that kind of stuff today. To take us away from a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. He's still trying to deceive, still even today. So, so what happens now out of it here, we're going to see kind of the, this, this judgment and this fruit, the fruit out of eating the fruit, right? Because there's always fruit. Again, I quoted it last time, whatever we sow, that will we also reap. Here in verses 14 and 15, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Interesting, isn't it? We don't know, you know, Satan is kind of like embodied this serpent now. We don't know, did the serpent have a different kind of form? And then, you know, it was, he was relegated to crawling on his belly and eating the dust. You know, what, what, what was it like before that? We don't really know. But something happened here and because of that. And, and notice there's this enmity. How many of you just love snakes? Especially you gals. You love snakes? I know my, my dad, you know, uh, he wouldn't even look at a snake on TV. It was like freaked him out. There's something about snakes. I don't, you know... If there's a snake there and, and it's even like, you know, it's a garden snake, it's not going to do anything to hurt you, but I, I don't want to go and like pick the thing up. Of course, you got some people, they just love snakes, they throw them around the room and stuff. That, never mind, that's a whole different, <laughs> different thing. But I don't know if you noticed this, in, but in the middle of this curse, in the middle of this, look what it says. It says, in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. In the middle of this curse, in the middle of the, you know, what has happened here in Genesis chapter 3, we have the gospel. The gospel truth is right there. In fact, the, the theologians call it the proto-evangelium. In other words, the first gospel. This is the very first time the gospel is here. Why? Because it, it talks about the cross. He says that Satan you know, would, would bruise his heel, but you, the seed, that he would crush his head. So yes, we see the cross there, but, but in the end, Satan would be crushed. And sin would be defeated and death would be defeated by who? By the seed of the woman, not plural, but singular. And that seed of the woman is who? The seed of the woman is Jesus. Isaiah said it, the, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The, the virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God himself would come and, 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 and be with us and, and crush the very head of Satan. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that is Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death 
he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Again, as I said in the beginning, he's, he's, he's defeating sin, but he's also crushing death, defeating death. How? By his death. He died that death. You see, Paul tells us in Romans that the wages of sin is what? Death, the payment for sin, which entered the human race here in Genesis chapter 3, is death. But Jesus came and died in our place. The substitutionary death of Jesus, you see. But again, it all comes back here to Genesis chapter 3. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. This is what the woman has has got to deal with all of this. I don't know. I've never had a child. And trust me when I say men can't have children. I don't care what some crazy people want to say right now. Men cannot have children. They will never have children. But you gals that have had children, what was that like? He says this is part of, this is part of what happened. What, what would it have been like before that? We don't know. But something that Jesus said in, in John chapter 16 kind of puts another little uh, side to this. He says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish of her because of her joy that a child is born into the world. It's just pain, but, but after the pain comes the joy. Life is like that too sometimes, you know. That's just part of it. The relationships between husbands and wives and and it's not easy, is it? It's not easy being in a relationship with, between a husband and wife. It's not easy for the woman. It's not easy for the man. But, but by, by the grace of God, we can find a place of joy. And that's what Jesus talks about. Thirdly, to, the, to Adam, verse 17, to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. We see here that the, the ground is cursed and that, that work is now going to be difficult. You see, there was work before the fall. He was told to take care of the garden. There was things they needed to do. Landscaping, that kind of thing. But afterwards, then, this, you know, then you've got like thorns and thistles. You've got weeds. You've got all this stuff. How many of you know what a yucca tree is, yucca plant is? I'm telling you what. Try to get rid of those things. 
We have some growing in the front of our house, and I have been trying for years to get rid of them. You dig it all out, and you get rid of it, and, and you know what? There's new, we, we just redid it. There's new little ones starting to pop up. If there's the tiniest little bit down there, they're going to grow up. They're going to... It's part of the curse. That's why they call it yucca. You see? These thorns and these thistles, it's, it's just part of the curse. And, and having to work hard by the sweat of your brow, you're going to die, you're going to go and return to the ground. But again, God has not left us without hope. And in, in, in all of this, God has given us hope. Paul said in Romans that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. God is going to do something. God has got a plan. He's going to bring it all together. In the meanwhile, though, you and I have to work hard and do what we have to do. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. That's why they call it, well, we call it work, right? When we think, oh, I got to go to work, right? Now, we probably enjoy certain things of our jobs, but there's certain parts of work that are just plain hard. And that's part of it. But, but Solomon said this. He says, even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. It's all meaningless. But he says, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without Him, without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? So there's this, even Solomon saw it, he saw it, you know, even in the midst of this difficult pain and grief, hard work, sweat of our brow, anxious, striving, toil, he says we can find enjoyment, how? With God involved in our lives. In a marriage, how? With Jesus involved in the marriage. We're going to find joy. We're going to find enjoyment. Going on, we've got to finish. We've got communion here in a, in a few minutes. Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the, the mother of all the living. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Adam named his own wife. I don't know. He got to name all the, you know, all the animals and all that stuff. He named all his, and, 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 but he got to name his own wife. Usually the, the husband and the wife, they named their kids, right? But he got to name his wife. I don't know. What would you name your wife? <laughs> People laugh sometimes because my wife calls me husband, and I call her wife. Not in a bad way, like, woman. Not like that. But I say, wife. She says, husband. Maybe it's just we, we kind of like, you know, are reminding each other what our relationship is. She, you're my wife and you're my husband. So I don't know. Sometimes we want to call our spouses. We want to name them all right, but maybe it's not such a good thing. <laughs> Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. 
He sacrificed animals. This covering by the shedding of blood. Isaiah said, he has clothed me with garments of salvation, arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. The Lord has done that. Verse 22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flashing, flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is a crazy, crazy situation, seeing what we, what we read about here in Genesis chapter 3. You know why they did that, right? You know why he put the guards there to keep them from finding their way to the tree of life? Because if they had eaten of the tree of life, they'd live forever in this situation. Can you imagine living? I mean, you young people, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to you, but you older people know, like, can you imagine just living forever and getting older and older and more pains and more problems and and you never can die. You're never going to die. That sounds like hell to me. (laughs) So what's the answer? What is the answer? Well, the answer is Jesus, of course, right? Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, the answer is Jesus. What's the answer for all of creation? It's Jesus, the, the creation. God has a plan for this creation too. But for you and I, it's Jesus. Galatians chapter 4, I'll read it to you. He says, but, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. In chapter 3, he said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He bought us back. He redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who who is hung on a tree. Jesus, he he took that curse on himself. He was hung on a tree. He, he, He was on that cross and he took the curse upon himself which redeems us as we trust in Him, as we believe in Him. You think about it, right? He took the thorns, right? He took the thorns where? Upon His very own head. The thorns upon His very own head. I want you to turn with me. We'll we'll close with this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17 through 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
you think about Genesis chapter 3, and, and, and really it's, it's all coming on the heels of creation. But then the fall comes and everything changes, everything, the death comes. But here Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you and I are a brand new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There's a brand new life that you and I have. It's a new creation. All this is from God, verse 18, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of of reconciliation. I don't know if you get this whole picture of reconciliation here, but as I started this uh, message here today, I said that the relationship between God and us was broken. But he sent his son Jesus to fix it, to make it right, and that we would be reconciled, that, that we would now be able to walk with him and talk with him. And one of the things that, that Paul says is we've been given this, this message. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation, that God wants to reconcile. And he sent his very own son. God himself came in the form of his son, to reconcile you and me to himself. He's always wanted that. He created us for that. That's what the purpose of life really is. One more thought I want to throw out there is that David Guzik says this, there's only two religions. You say, what are you talking about? There's religions all over the place. There's thousands of religions. No, there's only two. David Guzik says this, There's the religion of fig leaves and there's the religion of God's perfect perfect provision through Jesus. We can try to cover ourselves up with our good works and and really every other religion except Christianity is a a religion of works. Good works, you've got to do this, you've got to earn your way, you've got to make yourself pure, make yourself right. Every other religion except Christianity the grace of Jesus that he did it for us and God provided. The exciting thing is, you know, we finished in Genesis chapter 3. He says that, you know, the, the way to the tree of life was guarded. But when you read in Genesis chapter 22 as, as well as chapter 2, what does it say about the tree of life? They're all there for us to partake and live and eat, to eat and then live forever. It's all open. Why? Because of Jesus. Always, always, always Jesus. You know, I was back in the kids, like Chris said, I was back with the kids, and I asked the question, and what was the first answer? Jesus. Of course, that's what kids always do. Well, how did that happen? Jesus, or God, or the Holy Spirit? You've you got to just go through the answers, right? But, but the truth is, The number one answer for you and I is Jesus. Number two is Jesus. Number three goes on. It's Jesus. Things changed. Things changed for you and for me when we let Jesus into our hearts and lives. And that's why we're going to take communion. What happened? It was Jesus. Jesus redeemed me. He bought bought me back. That's what the word redeem means, to buy back. He bought me back. 
from sin, from death, from hell. He forgave my sin. He crushed it. And the shame and the guilt and the fear, it's all covered by the blood of Jesus. And reconciliation has taken place. How many of you know the old hymn, uh, In the Garden? What a beautiful song that is, you know. I think we're going to do it. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of, Do- Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. You know, this reconciliation to walk, it's like going back to the garden. Now, it's going to be much, much better in heaven. I understand that. I get that. And, and when God, you know, creates a new heaven and a new earth, it's going to be much, much better. But even here, even now, you and I can, can have this walk in fellowship with Jesus. No more hiding. We don't need to hide anymore. We turn to him. Let's pray together first. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great, great love. You sent your son Jesus to to fix what was broken. And he did it at great cost to himself. And as we come to, to celebrate the communion, to celebrate what Jesus did, we remember the cross, but we also remember Genesis 3 where it all, it all changed, but Jesus, you came to change it, to change it for the better and to make us new creations and deal with our sin and to, to conquer death that we would never die again. We would live forever and ever and ever in heaven with you. So Jesus, we come as we take this time to sing and to worship and offer ourselves to you. Maybe there's someone here who's never surrendered their life to you. I I pray right now, Jesus, for them, that you would just let them know you love them. You came for them. And all they need to do is, is open their life and heart and say, Jesus, come in, come in, please. I want life. I want my sins forgiven. I want to live forever. And that's all you gotta do. And he's there with you. And he'll be in you. And Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you did for us. I thank you what you did for me. You changed me. and Still changing me. I love that verse that says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. You're going to finish what you started in us. How beautiful is that? Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pass out the communion and we're going to sing as well.